Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. If you have not heard him speak, you are in for a very major treat. Also, he is a walking example of what it looks like to dream with the Lord. He has dreamt of, like he said earlier, just getting a selfie with Danny Silk. It's, it's like, it would be like his icon, right? And uh, not only does he have a selfie with Danny, but this past week, him and Angie got to be in their home. I know, right? And meeting them, spending time with them, I don't know all the details yet. I will find them out. But anyways, that is a dream that God did more than he could ask, think, or imagine. So, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I'm not going to go into a lot of details because I actually have a sermon to teach today. But um, we got invited out with um, a, a group of people who are kind of inner core people that are getting in line with the direction Danny is, is, is taking things and bringing his message to our own communities. And so there were about, um, <clears throat> about 25 people with their plus ones that were in Danny's home. And so we got to see his home. The hunters here would love it. He's got this big moose on the wall and big bear skin hanging on the side. And, 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 uh, it was so much fun. Uh, Sean Bowles was there and spent some time with him. It was, it was really cool. But we got to meet some people we didn't know who they were and got to know them and some really just had a lot of fun connecting with people going in the same direction um, that we are. And it's happening all over the world. So um, it, was a, it was, you know, it was a great time. Just enjoyed being there. And we got a lot of ammunition for relationships while we were there uh, that we can go and strengthen our relationships here and, and work on that. So I will tell you more about that in the future, but today um, I've got some other things I wanted to talk about. So we spent the past month talking about uh, dreams and legacy and having vision for the future, and uh, Pastor Aaron had um, us do these cards with, with 20 dreams for 2020 and then 20 dreams for the next 20 years. And kind of to have vision going out. And I don't know about you guys, I have not finished mine yet. I'm still totally absorbing this and working on it. I've got to a couple of them that I'm like, man, I just can't get past this one right here. I mean, and so dreaming is a great and amazing thing. But I find that oftentimes my role in this body is to bring balance to the force. And so, so I bring the other side of this about, okay, You've done this side, Aaron. You've gone radical and amazing going after this stuff. I need to talk about this side of this, how this is actually going to practically work as well. And so um, one of the things that, um, that I realize, and, and I, I hope you all realize, anybody here ever have a dream that, that didn't come true, that failed? Like, like you dream, like if you're not raising your hand, you either don't dream or you're lying. Okay, like if you've ever dreamed at all, some of those things don't work out the way you thought they were going to, right? 
And so I want to um, kind of prepare us for that. And James talks about something that, that I think is connected to this on how he deals with when, uh, when trials and difficult things come. This is James um, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, have you ever read this when you're in a trial? When I read it when I'm in a trial, it sounds more like this. Consider it pure joy. <laughs> I don't feel like hearing that. Thank you very much, James. When I'm going through it, I am not considering it pure joy. I'm going through it. I may consider it pure joy afterwards, but I'm not considering it pure joy right now. It gets a little irritating to me to actually read that verse when I'm in the middle of a trial, if I'm being completely honest with you. So um, I want to I bring out um, a, another verse to kind of reiterate this and... Um, how many of you just raising your hands? If you don't know this, don't worry. You didn't fail the test. We're not going to kick you out of the church. But how many of you know what um, the verse Philippians 4.13 says? Just so you know what it says. Okay. So if I pointed at you, who could quote it? Like you'd be, you're comfortable enough in this crowd of people that you could say it out loud. Who, who knows it? Go for it. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I've memorized that one. That was an important one to me that I, that I wanted to know. But what I realized is I've been quoting it with the wrong mindset for a long time. Like everybody that I've heard promote it and talk about it says it's basically saying that I am all powerful because of God. I can do anything, which there's truth in that. But that's not what the verse is talking about, okay? When you look at the verse, you have to see it in context. So let's go to uh, Philippians 4. We're going to back up a couple of ver verses. We're going to start with verse 10. This is Paul, the apostle, talking. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So I'm going to stop there because that's up to verse 12. Why is Paul content in all circumstances? How is he able to have a lot and also not have much? For some of us, the struggle to stay connected with God varies. Well, this is how he gets to it. This is how he deals with it. Verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So in other words, he's talking about I can handle when things are prosperous, and I can t handle when things are in lack. And how does he do it? Through Jesus Christ, who strengthens him. Now, for some of us, it is really hard to do things through Christ when we're in times of lack. You're just feeling like, this is such a struggle. I'm going through so much. I don't know how to do this. 
But for some of us, it's actually harder to do it when we're in times of plenty. Because everything that's going on is pulling my thoughts, my mind away. I, what do I need God for? Everything's going good. Right? And so Paul is basically saying, I've learned the secret. I've figured out how to do this, that I can have things going good. And I can have things going bad. And I can stay content in either of those situations. Because the point is not for us to not have good things happen so that we can turn to God. Right? He wants us to have good things. He just doesn't want us to have those good things pull us away from him. So if you're looking down your list of 20 things for 2020 and 20 things for 20 years, I want you to think what would happen if some of those don't happen? What would happen if none of those happen? Could you stay content? Now, it doesn't mean it wouldn't be difficult, but could you stay content? So for me to get any deeper, I need to bring in and introduce a subject that is everybody's favorite subject, idolatry. Yes, cheer. I need to talk about idolatry because idols are things that pull us away from God. Now, if you've read scripture much before, this is probably the image you get when I think of idolatry. Or, well, let me define it real quick first. Is Idolatry is worshiping something other than God as if it were God. Okay? Now, then you got to say, okay, well, what's worship? Worship to God is homage, honor, respect, relationship, dependency, and love for God. So I'm putting those things towards something that's not God. That's idolatry. I'm putting those things. I'm letting something else take the place of what really God should be taking the place. Okay? So when I think of, of this, when you, when you think in Scripture, here's the first thing that usually comes up. It's, you know, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and his brother, his older brother Aaron is, is there, and the people say, we need something to worship. And so they build this golden calf, and they all worship it. Nowadays, though, I, I don't think we think too much about worrying about golden calves, and we're all going to bow down to that. The other thing I think of when I think of this is what you see in the movies. Is there's this, this golden image that Indiana Jones goes to find, and he's more interested in it for the money. But all the natives think it's got some kind of special power. And so they actually make it an idol, and, and they, they, they believe that that is their god. That is their power. In many, even today, though, even in a lot of Latin American countries, the, the actual cross has become an idol for them in that they're putting the power in, in the, that golden piece of jewelry rather than in, in Jesus who it symbolizes. They ta they've taken it to, to, to another level. So a lot of missionaries will say, we don't, wear, we don't wear crosses on chains because it confuses people because they start thinking I'm supposed to worship that chain and instead of worshiping the, the God who that symbolizes. But in our country and in our culture here, we don't usually have um, issues like that. If I said idolatry and you were guessing, you'd probably be thinking of some things like substance abuse, you know, drugs, alcohol, gambling, vices, you know, things that you know you probably shouldn't do, but they're taking the place of God, so you keep going after those things. But um, others, you might have kind of cracked the code a little further, and uh, you think of, you know, Facebook. It takes a lot of my time 
comfort effort. Find foods. There's a game today later that could become your idol. I don't know if you've heard of it. I'm not allowed to say it because they have copyrights on it, but you know what it is. Basically, an idol can be anything that you put in in the place of God. And I want to point out that um, one of the reasons an idol is such a big problem is that it prevents us from having a relationship with God. Our relationship with God is replaced by something else. In essence, something false. So here's a simple example for me. When I first lost my job, um, and I was just seeking comfort. I downloaded this app on my tablet, and I would play it to numb myself. I would just immerse myself, and I, I found out more and more and more I was getting into this app. It was not, a, it was G.I. Joe. So, you know, that's what I grew up with as a kid. But more and more, I was realizing this is, this is, I'm trying to find comfort in this instead of finding comfort in, in Jesus. And not that the app was bad. It was the how I was using it that was bad. It was taking the place of something that I really needed Jesus to meet that place of comfort for me. And ultimately, it was because I didn't trust that Jesus could meet it. I thought I had to go find something else to take his place to comfort me when I was in a place of, of difficulty and disappointment. A lot of things can become idols. A lot of good things can become idols. A desire to change the world can become an idol if you need that more than you need Jesus. The only way that I can feel significant, the only way I can be okay in life is if I'm changing the world. The desire to see other people get saved can become an idol. Evangelists can follow that one. It's more important for me to see somebody get, come to salvation than it is for me to stay connected and have relationship with God. That's my idol now. The desire to memorize and know scripture can become your idol. If that, is, if that is a means in itself, is the only reason I'm wanting the scriptures so I can make myself feel more intelligent so that I can argue with Christians better. <laughs> Having really good theology can become my idol. I want to be sure that I'm right because if I'm right, then I can make sure everything's secure rather than making sure I'm connected with God that he can make things secure. Worshiping you doing the right thing can become your idol. As long as I do everything right, then I know life is good and that I'm good. And that can keep me from going and connecting and having a relationship with God. An example that was pointed out to me, and, and you can disagree with this one, but I think it fits, um, is the story of Job. I want to read this, and I want you to think about it through this lens. This is um, Job chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 4. It's talking about Job. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. 
Thus Job did continually. Now think about that today. If somebody came up to you today and said every day they're constantly praying just in case their kids sinned, that God would cover that, and they're constantly worrying about it, they're constantly thinking, I would think there might be an issue that they had. And then Job's friends go on to, to, argue, to argue, well, you must not have done the right thing. And Job keeps going back and forth saying, no, I haven't done anything wrong. Job put his faith in his ability to not do anything wrong more than he put it in God. So he put his idol of him being right and doing the right thing more than he put it in a relationship with God. Now, Job lived at a time when a relationship with God was foreign. So we give him a little grace on that. But the whole point of it is you can't put anything in place of God. It doesn't matter what great things you have in that list of 20 for 2020 or 20 for 20 years. None of those things can take the place of God. And if they don't happen, he is still God. He is still on the throne. Let me give you a few of my favorite idols that I like to turn to sometimes. One of them is ice cream. Yes. Isn't that a fun idol? Now, it's not that ice cream is bad, but sometimes I use it to comfort myself instead of getting comfort from Jesus. Okay. Here's another one. Movies. I love a good movie. I love a good show. I get wrapped in them now. You know, that we've got 10 years of, of the Avengers. I just, I mean, we just would go back and know all the nerdy stuff of who said this and which movie and what happened. It's so much fun. But if, if it becomes more important that I need that so that I can feel, you know, enjoyment in life, so that I can, I can stay connected, it's taking the place of God. Security. You probably won't see one of these at the game today because it's Dallas. No, but, but security. Angie and I love security. We love to have things. You know, we figured out how we could pay off our house early. We'd never uh, go into debt to buy vehicles. We are always thinking, what can we do to minimize any chance that we're going to take in life? Make sure everything works out. And there's nothing wrong with security as long as it's not my idol. And I know that it's my idol when things start to get insecure and I'm not sure if I can handle it. Because when things get insecure, if Jesus is re really my, my source of worship, then even if it doesn't go the way that I planned it, I know that it's going to be okay. Here's another one. Being good. I love to be a good boy. I love thinking if I do the right thing, God will love me. I love thinking that other people will think, oh, there's a guy who does never done anything wrong. People on this stage have compared me to Jesus, which is incredibly flattering and totally untrue. <laughs> but if I put being good in place of a relationship with Jesus, I will fail myself. Having a perfect wife. She is so amazing that it's so easy to make her my idol. Like, I'm okay as long as I have her, as long as, you know, as, as long as she's in, in a, um, 
place where she's, she's so good at, at making me feel loved and, and telling me how, how great I am. What happens if she has a bad day? Which she never would, but she might one day. <laughs> that is too much to put on her. She can't handle that to be my source of well-being. I, it is not fair for me to put that onto her. Now, God will use her oftentimes to bring comfort and love, but I need to recognize that he is the source of that, and he's just using her to bring that to me. Preaching a good sermon cannot be my idol. As, as amazing as this is going this morning, if it flops, I can't make that determine whether I have value in my life or not. I love it when you connect with points that I make. I love it when you laugh at my jokes, even if they're not funny. I enjoy that. But I can't find my value in that. I can't find my connection in that. And here's one that I, I get all the time. Take my advice. I'm not using it. <clears throat> I am a source in this congregation of a lot of advice. People come to me when they have problems. I, somebody uh, told me recently, um, they, I, I hadn't heard this, but they tell each other, you need to go get host. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so, I feel my place. I, I feel connected here. But I don't have uh, perfect advice. I, and, and so if I have the pressure on me that I have to be that source, what if somebody comes into this congregation that gives better advice than I do? I've just lost my place. Or what if I give some bad advice? Like, I'm not perfect. I know some stuff. I feel good about that, but I'm not perfect. I need to keep pointing people back to Jesus. Oh, I see. That's why. <laughs> we, okay. So the question that, that I think should come, are we on? There we go. The question I think has come, so all right, so we know there are all kinds of idols, all kinds of things that we can put in Jesus' place. What's the cure? What is the cure for idolatry? Well, when Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, the cure is through him. So the point is not to throw away all the good things in your life so that you don't go to Jesus, so that you only have Jesus. The point is not to crumple up your 20 <clears throat> dreams for 2020 and your 20 dreams for 20 years and throw those away. The point is all of those things need to come through Jesus. Whatever you're dreaming of, whatever good thing you're going after, it needs to come out of a relationship. And so I want to talk for just a few minutes about relationship and what that means. Because what we're really starting is we're kicking off a series starting today on relationships. And the first relationship we want to start with is our relationship with God. If we start there, then we're not going to put too much pressure on these other relationships in our lives to fill us. And we're not going to put too much pressure on ourselves to fill other people. We're going to point them to Jesus and we're going to allow Jesus to work through these other people to fill us. And when they fail us, we've still got connection to him. We've still got him, even when other people fail us, and they will. They will. 
So here are some things. It's, this is an incomplete list of what a healthy relationship with God looks like. Here's one thing is you stop fighting for your rights and you start fighting for your relationship. God, I deserve this. Do this for me. God, I've been so faithful. Okay, Stop fighting for that and start saying, all right, I just want to connect with you. Things didn't all work out the way I imagined. I just want you. I just want to connect to you. The other thing is neither one of us are desperate. This is shocking for some of us because we sing, I'm desperate for you. But if I'm desperate for somebody, there's something broken in my relationship. If I'm desperate for my wife, we're not connecting well enough. So I don't want to be desperate for Jesus in the way that is saying, I can't be filled by him. I want to stay in connection, in relationship, in covenant with him. Third thing is love is going to cause you to lay some things down. You ever love somebody? If you do, you're going to choose not to do certain things that you could. Right? And so sometimes you will have dreams and you go to the Lord and you say, you know what, God? You're actually more important than that dream. You matter more to me than that dream. So I'm going to lay that dream at your feet. And by laying it down, I'm not laying it down because I think, well, well, if I lay it down, then you're going to let me have it. I'm laying it down because I'm saying you're more important. You matter to me more than whatever that dream is. The fourth thing is you're real. You can't have intimacy without exposing yourself. Even your ugly parts. You have to be willing to show God what you don't like about yourself. It's not a shock to him. It's not new information. You have to be willing to show that. You're honest. You can't have a relationship when you hide how you really feel. One of the greatest breakthroughs I've had in my relationship with God is when I came to the point where I had to admit, God, I'm not sure if I even believe in you. And when I said that, he's like, you will. You'll get it. I still had to work through it, but, but I, I couldn't hide that because what happens is when you hide that piece of yourself, it stops in, intimacy. I try to become somebody who I'm not, and he doesn't, he doesn't get to see the real me, and I don't feel known. I need to show him who I am. You admit you need him. Okay, so you may see some idols in your life as I'm talking. But you, you, if there's a, a temptation to decide, well, I'm just going to discipline myself out of using that idol. That's not how this works. Relationship means, God, I need you to help me deal with that idol in my life. I need you to help me work through it. You remain powerful and hold, on, hold up your side of the relationship. So, God, I'm going to continue to pursue you. You know, it may be, it may be uh, just coming here on a Sunday morning is like you really fighting that battle, but I'm gonna, I, I can control whether I show up or not, so I'm going to be here. It may be whether you crack your, your Bible open. It may be whether you smile at the cashier. Whatever it is, I'm going to hold up my side because I'm trusting God's going to hold up his side of it. 
The eighth thing is you love unconditionally. Now, we think about this all the time. You know, amen, brother. We, we, we agape love each other. You know, I, I love my brother even when he mistreats me. And God loves us unconditionally. But do you love God unconditionally? Like, we don't always think about that. Like, when life isn't going the way that you thought it would, has that ever happened to anybody? Like, like you thought it was going to go one way and it went another? Like, every once in a while, God surprises me and things go the way I thought they were going to go. But, but most of the time, it doesn't go the way that you thought. When that happens, that's an opportunity to say, you know what, God? I love you anyways. I trust that you're good in spite of what I just went through. I'm not going to make my love for you conditional the same way you don't make your love for me conditional. And then the last thing is, um, like I say, it's an incomplete list, but the last thing is having vision together. God will show you where he wants to go, and you go with him. But he wants to have vision together too. So sometimes you go to God and you say, you know what, God, I would like to start a Bible study in this, in this place. What do you think about that? And God's like, yeah, that's an amazing idea. Let's go for it. He wants to, he wants to co-labor with you. He wants to have vision together with where you're going. So let me give you three levels to, to change. If you're identifying idols in your life, there are three levels. Some of you, um, it may be a simple change. Some of you, it may need to go a little bit deeper. The first level is discipline. Discipline is basically just saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay? And that will work if your idol is not really ingrained, if, if you haven't been doing it, using it that long, if um, there's not a lot of deep roots to it, not a lot of old wounds in history. You can just decide, you know what? I really need to start, you know, spend a little more time in prayer. I'm going to decide to do that. I do it. No big issue. Nothing's distracting me. Perfect. The thing is, that's usually for a lot of us, um, that's just a lot of things we have don't get cured that way. So the next level is a new experience, and that's what we're doing in Sozo ministry. If you're familiar with our Sozo ministry, basically what we do is we bring you in, we help you to hear God better. He will identify some lies that you're believing in your life, and then he comes in and brings the truth. And when he brings the truth, it's much different than me telling you what the truth is because you're hearing it from him. And so when those lies are exposed, you get a new experience of, his, of who he is and what his love is like. And then the, the, the third level, though, is a desire fulfilled by God. And so, you know, sometimes we have needs in our life that we're, we're looking to idols to, to fill. And we don't want to just throw away the needs and pretend like we don't have those needs. I may need to feel significant. I may need to feel loved. I may need to feel cared for. I may need to feel peace. I can turn to idols for those things, or I can pretend like I don't have those needs, but that's not going to fix it. Neither one of those will fix it. What I really need is to let him meet those needs for me. And so when I'm going through something, it's an opportunity for him to connect with me in relationship. So one of the things that I recommend that I've learned about recently is to have dangerous prayers is what we call them, okay? Dangerous prayers is ba are basically prayers that I'm going to say that would make me nervous if I didn't trust God, okay? So here are a couple examples. 
God, take away the, the things in my life that I have in place of, of you so that I can see you fill those needs in my life. Or God, give me a chance to see how much I need you. Does that sound scary? <laughs> Unless he's good. God, <clears throat> give me patience. Hey, is he good or not? I, I don't like it when people say, hey, brother, don't pray for patience because you know what's going to happen. Is he good or not? If he's good, me praying for patience would be a good thing. Right? And so I'm going to go in and I'm going to trust him that if I pray for patience, he's going to give it to me in a way that I can handle it, that I can, that in the way that I need it, and I'm going to grow with him in that because he's a good God. So I'm going to put out some dangerous prayers, and I'm going to just say, God, give me opportunities to not trust in anything but you. Give me opportunities to see how good you are and that nothing else can fill those spots that I need. And he will do it. You know, one of the things I, I really believe is sometimes when God is being merciful, he is not letting your dreams come true because they might replace him. And sometimes when God is giving judgment, he will let them almost come true because you think, well, maybe this I can get my significance out of this instead of in him. And so we pray dangerous prayers to strip those things away, those dreams that are almost coming true, that if we continued in them, it would actually be a bad thing because it would draw us away from him. Again, the point is not and never has been that we shouldn't have good things. The point is... We can do all things through him who strengthens us. So I want to invite the, the team up, and, and we're going to get ready here to close. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up and just lay down anything that you see in your life that you feel like might be an idol, that you'd let him show that to you and that you would give that to him. And basically just admit, God, you're the one that I really need. And I kind of imagine this a little bit like if, if you're familiar with the Old Testament story in Genesis of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and his wife Sarah have this, this dream of having a, a child. And they go, they go for years and they try to make it happen too soon, which is Ishmael. Many of us do that, but that's another sermon. But finally, they have this child, and they name him Isaac. And their dreams have come true. And God tells Abraham, all right, I want you to take Isaac up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. That dream that you just had come, come true, I want you to, to, to give that up. And it's a little confusing, but you have to remember that at the time, they didn't realize that God didn't expect human sacrifice. It was a new thing for them to realize that he didn't. And so Abraham brings his son up on the mountain. And just as he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord says, stop, you don't need to do that. Now, I think God knew what Abraham was going to do. I'm not so sure that Abraham knew what he was going to do. And he needed to see 
that his son was not an idol for him. He needed to see that his dreams coming true were not idols that took the place of the Lord. So I have a feeling that if you come up, that's what God, that's the kind of thing that God is going to do. But you need to be willing to completely let it go. You can't do it and say, well, God, as long as you tell me after I say I don't have to keep it, that I can have it back. No, you really need to adjust your heart and say, God, it's yours. If you want me to get rid of it, I'm laying it down. If it's in the way of me and you, you are more important.